Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If food is your fetish, well, then I am supplying the tools. And the delicious dialogue starts right here and right now. I welcome you to my kitchen, where recipes and tips for marvelous meals are shared every weekend on this show. This hour, you'll gain ideas for how to eat well and live well, because this show is for people who love to cook and love to eat. And each week, I'll share with you my favorite authors and delicious dishes, recipes, wines, restaurants, gadgets, and more. We're all about artisans and chefs and sharing knowledge. And so we dish on everything on this show. And let me tell you what is coming up on your plate today. We are sharing the misunderstood virtues of okra. It has so much potential, really. Chris Smith is here. His cookbook, The Whole Okra, celebrates from seed to delicious dishes. And just wait till you hear how full of enthusiasm he is. Also, we're sharing Indian-inspired desserts, a sort of cultural mashup of the modern take on desserts and sweets that highlight Indian accents and This is really what I think makes the cutting edge world of food so truly scrumptious. Stay tuned because chef and author Hethel Vasavada is here. Before the end of the hour, we're making sleek summer arms for swimsuit season. Before it's over, of course, our resident workout expert, our fitness guru, Lisa Lin, is here. But first, let's start it off right And let's master a technique, shall we? Because my goal is to make you the best cook you know. And today's tutorial is all about mastering meringue, as requested by Jill W. via email. You, by the way, can make a personal request for culinary insight. Just email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. By the way, I am always serving up seconds and lots of delicious inspiration at chefjamie.com. And I hope you'll become a friend and a fan where you will find my shameless daily dish of what I've eaten every day on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on social at Chef Jamie Gwen. Okay, back to meringue. If meringue is the closest I ever get to walking on a cloud, that would be so great. Something magical happens when egg whites and sugar are whipped together. Spread meringue over a lemon pie or bake meringue in a low oven for pavlova. Oh, I am so happy. More on pavlova in just a little bit. You've heard about pavlova coming back into play of late. Lots of chefs who are serving this big, beautiful, impressive dessert, and I'll tell you all about it. Meringue cookies with the little mini chocolate chips, those are my favorite. And it shouldn't be intimidating or stress-inducing to master meringue. I believe that if you have the ingredients on hand, which you probably do right now, you can make meringue whenever you feel the whim. So I say go for it. So meringue treats 
lend themselves, I think, to very impressive presentation. There's something beautiful about a meringue cookie. Or if you make uh, a lovely glossy meringue and you caramelize it under fire for a toasty key lime pie or even a baked Alaska, that's just truly impressive, right? Meringue can form the basis of truly wonderful desserts, but it is a technique that has daunted many cooks for a very long time. And I believe that it takes minimal effort, but it offers very dramatic results. So making a meringue is simple. All you need are some egg whites, sugar, and some sort of stabilizer like cream of tartar or cornstarch or even vinegar. And if you follow these few easy steps as I share my chef's tips with you, practice plus patience makes perfect. So here is my straightforward tutorial on mastering meringue. It's much like blowing air into a balloon while you're whipping. So beating or whipping causes the protein in the egg whites to unfold and that traps the air bubbles inside and the sugar, by the way, stiffens that foam. And a perfect egg white meringue is really nothing but a foam and a foam is a big collection of bubbles. So let's start with the essentials. You need eggs. And I use large eggs in all of my recipes. It's pretty standard. I recommend that you do as well. You have to know that the smallest fleck of fat can be the downfall of an entire meringue. The fat actually causes the beaten egg whites to deflate. And the most likely culprit most often is a teeny piece of egg yolk, sometimes almost invisible to the eye, that sneaks in when you're separating the eggs. And it's true. It does sneak in. So here are the best things to remember. Cold eggs are easier to separate, but room temperature whites will attain more loft or air when they're whisked. So I recommend that you separate the eggs while they're cold, and then you let the egg whites stand at room temperature for 30 minutes before you beat them. I will also tell you, your best bet is to crack the eggs on a flat surface like your countertop rather than on the edge of a bowl because it reduces the chance that a shard of the shell will puncture the yolk. And then contrary to popular belief, old eggs actually whip up better for meringue. So if you can, use eggs that you've had in the fridge for a few days rather than running to the farmer's market to buy ultra fresh ones. Now, when it comes to the equipment, you want to make sure that your bowl and your whisk are clean and dry. I use a metal bowl because it goes with my electric mixer. Uh, if you're so brave to attempt meringue by hand and you have a very strong bicep, well, then I suggest glass or preferably copper. There are many chefs that prefer using a copper bowl because there's a chemical reaction between the copper and the egg whites, and it is said to produce a more stable meringue. Now, the sugar not only sweetens the egg whites, but it also helps create a thicker structure than what egg whites alone could achieve. And I suggest that you use super fine sugar. That's what I use. And you don't have to go to the effort of buying super fine sugar in a box. You can actually make it yourself. So you take granulated sugar 
and you put it in the food processor and you pulse uh, about uh, 30 seconds to a minute until the sugar itself is almost powdery and you have simulated or recreated super fine sugar. That's a really good tip to keep in mind. And then there's that helper that I mentioned. I always add a pinch of cream of tartar for stability. It actually mimics the chemical reaction that occurs when you whip eggs in a copper bowl. If you don't have cream of tartar, a quarter of a teaspoon of distilled white vinegar will work. And cornstarch is actually the ultimate stabilizer. If you're willing to use it in small quantities in your meringue, it's what makes a pavlova stand up strong. And it's not particularly necessary, um, but it's definitely worthy. Now, I've mentioned pavlova a few times. Pavlova, if you don't know it, is a meringue-based dessert that was named after the Russian ballerina Anna Pavlova. And it's come back into play of late. It is a round, crisp crust with this soft, marshmallowy inside. It's traditionally topped with whipped cream and fruit, and it is the most elegant, beautiful, impressive dessert to serve. You will guaranteed be a culinary hero. You pull out all the stops to make a pavlova and everyone, family and friends will be coming to your house again. I guarantee. A pavlova, more specifically, my I call it my summer strawberry pavlova because the strawberries are so sweet this season, is this week's bonus recipe. And the recipe is not posted anywhere else. So please email me. All you do is send a note to jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. And I will gladly share my summer strawberry pavlova recipe with you. Now, you will find a recipe for chocolate chip meringue cookies, baked Alaskas, French macaroons, all of the above at chefjamie.com. And if you are incurring a meringue mishap, well then I'd love to help and we can go over the technique for marvelous meringue. Just email me once again, jamie at chefjamie.com. Okay, Chris Smith is in the house and yes, he is bringing beauty back to okra. Don't touch your dial. There is lots more to dish on in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Sharing insightful culinary commentary in your radio every weekend. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. It is often considered the most misunderstood vegetable, but Chris Smith believes that okra has potential. Lots of it. In his new encyclopedia slash gardening manual slash cookbook entitled The Whole Okra, From Seed to Celebration, he chronicles the plant from tip to tail, pods, leaves, flowers, seeds, stalks, and all. And he shares his discoveries and recipes with an amazing range of delicious ways to cook and eat it. This is a food lover's book full of enthusiasm. So, Elevate your mind and allow me to introduce you to Chris Smith. 
He is here to shine a light on okra in all its glory. I'm glad to have you, Chris. Welcome. Hey, Jamie. Thank you. Of course. All right. Tell us about your okra journey. Where did it start? This is a very specific uh, hobby, passion, the food-loving quest, is it not? It's extremely specific, even more so for a British guy that did not grow up <laughs> yes. with any cultural or culinary exposure to okra. No, no uh, doubt. So, yeah, yeah. My, my journey started when I first came to America in 2006, and it was a terrible start to a what has become a, a loving journey, and I would serve some okra that was really quite disgusting. It was all the stereotypes that people complain about okra was in this, this single dish. So it was a real bad start, uh, which I, I've turned around. Y- you definitely turned it around. And you really have thrown yourself into it, so much so that you are changing the minds of okra haters and creating okra lovers. Help us get to know okra, please. I know from reading your book, it has great nutritional and medicinal benefits unbeknownst to so many of us. Definitely, yes. It's it's a part that is low in calories but high in, in vitamins and minerals. And I think more and more there's studies that are coming out that are showing that it's got a whole range of different health benefits. Some of the more well-known ones or in its use as a treatment for type 2 diabetes. So it's definitely a pod with potential, as you say. But it's also more than a pod, and that's part of the book, is is the entire plant is either edible or useful in some way, and that's part of my fascination with it. It's a seed to stem celebration of the entire plant. Yeah, I do appreciate the the full optimization, you know, the, the full usage. Um, you allude to superfood status in the book. It has enough virtues to really be considered so very well-rounded, but it still has the S word, as you call it. So can can we please talk slime for a moment? We may talk slime as long as we're talking super slime. Super slime. All right, go for it. Well, so the the slime is what people don't like. Uh, So there's, there's two ways you can approach that. You can either embrace the slime, which I've chosen to do, and the slime itself has a lot of healing properties. We, we eat flax seeds, we eat chia seeds, we appreciate aloe for its mucilaginous properties. We just need to transfer that appreciation to okra. But we can also mitigate the slime, and I'm open that, to that as well. There's a lot of culinary preparations where the slime can be uh, eliminated or at least reduced in the dish so that it's not, it's not noticeable. Yes, and the slime can be used as well as you talk about in a multitude of ways, before we eat okra, I love the photo in the book of your wife and your daughter with an okra facial mask. You use it for hair conditioner. Uh, would you elaborate, please? That wonderful picture of my, my three-year-old daughter and my wife with green okra slime, <laughs> yes. which we'll call a face mask on, on their faces. That was based on some reading I did of a Zimbabwean tradition where it's a very dry climate and they use that mucilage again like we use aloe in uh, cosmetic products to rehydrate the skin and while my four-year-old three-year-old four-year-old now ran off very quickly said it was yucky my my wife stuck it out in exchange for a foot massage Ah, and good she um she said it really did feel like her skin was was rehydrated afterwards and felt very uh, fresh and then i used it as a hair gel which was based on some reading of uh in Suriname. then they use it to uh, your hair fresh and hydrated as a kind of a, a hair gel-esque thing. So, that it, so I'm not making 
sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm not <laughs> making up most of what I wrote about. Most of it's based on some either old or uh, undiscovered tradition in some part of the world. And that's what I think is so amazing, is that you never realize the full potential of something that has been so scorned, specifically okra, until you really dig deep and get to know it. Uh, how many varieties of okra have you grown to date? Probably around 80 varieties, maybe a little more than that. Last year, I did a huge okra variety trial, which was 76 different varieties in one trial. And the diversity within okra, where we just think of this single slimy green pot, was just phenomenal. It was tall and short and green through red through pale white and just just a whole bunch of diversity within the field, which was extremely exciting. Uh, So it's not just diverse ways you can use okra, it's also diverse uh, plants that will give you all sorts of different uh, benefits as well. And are there particular varieties that have less slime and different flavor variations, a couple you might mention, that we might be able to get our hands on that you think present well when it comes to okra? Uh, I I often got asked about the low slime varieties. I think there's different, like, cell structure within the pods that are are growing, and so some are quite thin cell-walled and tend to be less slimy simply because there's less okra pod per pod as opposed to the thicker cell-walled pods, which tend to be more slimy just because there's more to them. So I think that's the, the bigger difference. In terms of varieties, we did do a lot of taste testing, and one variety that 15 different people in the room, some chefs, some food writers, came to the conclusion that this one variety out of 60 different okra varieties was the nuttiest, sweetest, best-tasting okra variety. And it's a variety from Turkey, which is quite a rare variety, but has been introduced by a small seed company called Two Seeds in a Pod. And the variety name is Yalova Akoy, which is the region of Turkey it's from. And that one is just absolutely delicious. It's not very productive, so there's some work we're trying to do to make it more productive, but the the taste is is all there, and that's really what we're about. I think that's amazing that you can find the nuances in a vegetable. I, I, I mean, not to sound ignorant by any means, but, you know, broccoli is broccoli, um, I love broccoli, don't get me wrong, uh, but when you find a nutty, sweet finish to okra, I'm all for it, right? So that allows me to think about the possibilities of uh, compounding flavor. The book is a fascinating chronicle, um, and I very much appreciate your passion The Whole Okra, just released by author Chris Smith, shares recipes and culinary tips, unique projects, fun facts about a vagabond vegetable that has enormous potential, no doubt. Embrace Okra. It is for gardening experts and food lovers alike. The book, entitled The Whole Okra, A Seed to Stem Celebration, is available on Amazon, of course, and in bookstores nationwide. Chris, congratulations to you uh, and continued success with your much-beloved vegetable. Thank you for uh, converting us, no doubt. I really appreciate it. I do, too. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, we have passionate food lovers, artisans, chefs, and more who share virtues deep in the food world. Stay with us. There's lots more fabulous food right after this.
Dedicated to great taste, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Growing up a first-generation Indian-American in New Jersey, Chef Hethel Vasavada found her morning filled with chai and Indian sweets. And her culinary exploration into her heritage landed her a coveted spot on Master Chef following this wonderful childhood. Her first cookbook, has also just released. Milk and Cardamom is a stunning collection of recipes that highlight cultural mashups of Indian accented sweets, craveable and trend-setting. And chef and author Hethel Vasavada is here to dish, and I'm glad to have you. Welcome. The book is beautiful, Hethel. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, it definitely was a labor of love. Oh, for sure. Pride, you should be filled with pride. There really is something so distinctive in the Indian style that comes through, but you have modernized it in a way that I think appeals to our palates. Can you elaborate on your childhood? I I loved reading in the introduction and I I know I alluded to it, but give us a a sort of throwback feel. So my parents immigrated to the U.S. in the late 80s and growing up in New Jersey, um, we had Indian food every single night. Um, my parents grew all their vegetables in the backyard because Indian groceries at the time were not easy to find. Sure. There was only Jackson Heights, uh, Edison wasn't truly set up just yet, hmm. um, which is like a mecca for Indian food in, yes. in New Jersey. Um, and we always had Indian desserts. I didn't really grow up with, um, you know, cakes and cookies and brownies, even though I wanted all of that because I would see it on TV, um, but instead I got chai and British biscuits and um, homemade, you know, simple desserts that my mom would make that brought her memories from her childhood uh, growing up in India. I love that you then took this Indian culture and wrote a book entirely about sweets, seeing that <laughs> that you were craving the sugar side. You talk about how, you know, everyone had a cupcake and that's all you wanted, right? Like the frosting, yeah. uh, pipe tie. And so I love that, that the sweets are, are where you've settled. Talk about using Indian spices in sweets, please. Share your best tips. Yeah. In Indian desserts, cardamom is pretty much like Indian vanilla. <laughs> it's in everything. Um, and in addition, a lot of like familiar flavors would be uh, rose water mm. um, and uh, mango. A lot of the fruits that are grown there. Another thing is a lot of Indian desserts are made with milk-based, like creams and custards and puddings, because people in India uh, rarely have ovens. Um most house are, houses aren't equipped with ovens at all. How interesting. And baking just isn't a thing. Um, a lot of the baking or desserts, baked desserts in the cookbook stem from uh, British or Portuguese or Dutch colonization, where they had set up bakeries in India to cater to the, the British, Portuguese, and Dutch um, people, expats living there in India. Sure. Um, so a lot, like the first chapter in the book is about creams and custards because that is kind of the main uh, ingredient in almost all desserts, it, all across India in general. It's milk in very form, various forms, hmm. you know, from heavy cream to just the milk fat after all the water from the milk and liquid from the milk has been evaporated to like condensed milk. Um, and even milk powder, which is used quite often as a shortcut. Um, so it's very milk forward. And it also uses a lot of unique flowers. Um, 
there's small little bites that we call mitai, uh, one of them being the, the chickpea flour fudge that's in the book, um, also known as besanti barfi, um, which is basically chickpea flour that you toast in ghee. And you wait until it gets super nutty. A lot of flowers give off a very nutty, almost like brown butter type mm. of scent and flavor. Yes. That I feel like isn't really used in any other cuisine. I think it's unique to Indian cuisine. Yeah, very signature uh, to Indian cuisine. Yeah. It, mm. I think it's just a technique that I feel like needed to be introduced. Um, and that people should know about it. Yes, and I'm so glad you did. Let's pause there for a second. Let's talk about toasting flowers because it is a theme throughout the book. The toasted milk cookies that you make Mm -hmm. uh, look absolutely like a, you know, extraordinary luscious cookie, but the method itself is varied from what we know as a, a traditional call it a chocolate chip cookie dough. So you toast the flour for the nuttiness in a pan on top of the stove until it's aromatic. Like I would equate that to toasting nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, the milk powder just caramelizes and and turns like this beautiful shade of brown and adds an extra richness to the cookie. Um, That's just like extra nutty, extra rich, Mm gives it an amazing flavor, like beyond the big shop flavor that you get from cookies. Right. I want to do that with everything I make. I mean, now, now I'm just going to toast flour for, for, for every recipe. Do you toast anything other than chick fle- chickpea flour mm-hmm. rather or milk powder? Have you ever toasted yeah. all-purpose flour? Yeah. So I've done all-purpose flour. I've even toasted like sugar. That's a big trick that um, I've seen. I think it was on like serious eats. Um, where they roasted sugar and utilized that. In the book, I also have a toasted semolina, putting the first recipe in the book. Yes, I saw it. Semolina is toasted over the stove Mm. um, until it gets nutty. Um, And in general, a lot of like millet, there's a lot of desserts that have millet or um, oat or other flours that Mm -hmm. they toast over the stove, or even nut powders, like nut flours, like almond flour um, or pistachio flour. And... It just adds so much flavor, and it's such a quick and fast technique, but it really is worth it. Oh, such a wonderful lesson. Um, Okay, I'm moving on to other delectable recipes in the book. Um, Indian ice cream holds a very special place in your heart, I understand. Uh, it was yeah. the way your mother got you out of the house to go run errands with her, right? And and it's yeah. a no-churn recipe. Is that v- mm-hmm. very traditional to... Uh, an Indian style ice cream? Um, it, it is not actually. So mm. uh, when I was a traditional Indian ice cream with gulfi is typically made with taking whole fat milk and cooking it down with sugar and cardamom and whatever else you're putting in for flavoring, whether it be, you know, pistachios or mango puree. Um, and you cook it down until you pretty much have like a milk syrup type of situation. Hmm. And all the fat, is it's like a very thick milk, and then you freeze it. And what you end up getting is like almost like a semi-fredo. Yes. Like an Italian semi-fredo situation. Yes. Um, mm. I added the no-churn ice cream because it's simple, it's easy. I know that, uh, similar to ovens in India, not everyone has an ice cream maker at home. Sure. And I wanted to make a recipe that was, had Indian flavors that was accessible, and it still has you know, it has some milk in it, so it does have that, you know, fatty 
milk flavor mm. that is known to be Yum. Like a major flavor component of Goldie's. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to make it. Can we talk Eton mess, please? Mm-hmm. This is like the ultimate summer entertaining dinner party dessert, right? You look like you went all out, but you could mm-hmm. totally store-bought to homemade it. Oh, yeah. For sure. The mess, so the Eton mess basically is a kind of a callback to uh, British dessert. Yes. Um, it's pretty popular. Well, it was invented and popular in England. Um, and I wanted to create something that had Indian flavors that um, kind of recalled that British dessert. I mean, when I would watch Great British Bake Off, um, <laughs> they would have these things. And I'm like, oh, this would actually fit really well with Indian desserts. This is exactly something an Indian dessert would be like, where it's beautiful but not perfect. It's not a plated dessert. It's a, like you just it's a big mess. You just pop them in a Yes, exactly. It's a mess. It's a big mess. Um, And it's made up of fresh fruit and meringue cookies that are crumbled, right? And then you make a compote of sorts. Yeah. 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 With rhubarb and rose. Mm. Um, Rhubarb is not an ingredient that's used in North India, where I'm from, um, a lot. I know there's places in India where they have like rhubarb um, achar or like pickled rhubarb that they do. Mm. But it's not an ingredient I was very familiar with. And the moment I had it, I'm like, oh, this would be so good with rose water. Because mm. you get that floral, that tart. Yes. And then I have strawberries in there. So you get sweet. Mm. And the meringue is sweet. And it, it just all is just like a texture and flavor bomb, essentially. Yes. Oh, it looks um, so lovely. Uh, it is a beautiful book. And it's full of culture and heritage. But it's modern and really elevated and uh and i love the indian culture and the cuisine so i am delighted to share it milk and cardamom the popular blog has a companion cookbook written by hethel vasavada and it's just released and it is beautiful for an indian american perspective on sweets filled with aromatic spices and a whole lot of love you will find the book on amazon and of course you can follow hethel at milk and cardamom continued success to you hethel thank you for sharing your passion thank you so much yes a pleasure there is lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this chef jamie gwen be right back Feeding your soul in so many ways every weekend. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. We all have our own reasons for wanting strong, lean, well-defined arms, right? And it is not too late to get sleek summer arms for this summer's sundresses and tank tops. So listen here. Lisa Lynn has a seven-day arm makeover challenge for you. She says that after following her seven-day arm workout, not only will your arms look toned, they'll also be stronger, which keeps your metabolism revved. And I'm all for that. Lisa Lynn is our resident workout goddess on this show and the founder of Lynn Fit Nutrition, the author of the award-winning The Metabolism Solution. 
Lisa actually created the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Metabolic Boosting Weight Loss System, and she regularly appears with Dr. Oz and more to share her workouts and insight. I am always thrilled when my friend Lisa stops by to whip us back into shape, and I can hear the whiz of the stationary bike, Lise. <laughs> you know what? I'm riding a spin bike. I know you're riding your bike because you say if you are going to sit, you might as well pedal. Yeah, why not? And, and I don't have to be working hard, but I'm burning extra calories, which means I get to eat a little more yummy stuff. I know. That's what I love about you. <laughs> so, okay, let's get fit to eat. I love this arm challenge because to me, seven days is doable. And you say yeah. if you've never touched a dumbbell before, it's okay. Don't worry. Yeah. And you know why? Well, people don't realize it's just so much easier to get your arms in shape than you think, unless you want to bulk them up, and most women don't. And by doing seven days, you're guaranteed results. They come about very quickly. The arms tighten and take shape. You're hooked, so you don't have to force yourself to do it. You're addicted to doing it. Yeah, and you see the results, which I find very motivating. Yeah. So Most women don't continue doing their exercises because they don't see it, but when you kind of stack it seven days on top of each other, it changes things even for the most slow to get results. There are seven basic moves, right? But there is a catch, as you talk about. You have to be strict with the repetition if you want to see change. Yes. The biggest, the biggest mistake I see women make is they, if you're doing arm exercises and you're not seeing more definition, it's because you're not doing them right. And we don't mean to do it, but for a lot of women, we lift too heavy and our necks do all the work. So our neck gets tighter and hurts, and our arms don't change at all. So if you're not seeing arm change, pin your elbows. Don't let them go throughout the entire workout. And if you can't lift your usual weight, you got to go lighter. Okay, let's talk about those weights. If you don't have dumbbells, is there a substitute? Sure, pick up your kids, your dogs, <laughs> water bottles. I've even used rolled-up washcloths and squeezed them when I'm stuck in a hotel room or even those extra bands, but anything works. Anything works. And you say start with a five pound weight, right? Is that a good neutral? It is a good neutral. And for some, they'll bump up to six, seven, and eight pounds. And notice how small those increments go. For most women using really good form, you won't really ever get that much stronger than that, nor should you worry about getting stronger unless you really want to grow your arm. Most women want that nice, sleek, Michelle Obama arm, if you will. Oh, yes, please. That's exactly what I'd like. Thank you. Do you know she has no wiggle? Yeah. That, you know, on the, the bingo arm at the bottom? Yeah, everybody knows it has a name, bat wing, hadassah flip. I've heard it all. And the truth is, the reason is our biceps get worked, so does our chest and shoulders. Every time we lift a glass or a plate, but the tricep, which is the back of the arm, gets used none, never. We just don't use it at all. So I recommend doing these exercises three to one, which is the complete opposite of what most people do. We need a lot of lifting to add muscle to the back of the arm so the skin has something to stay tight and attached to this. Nothing's better than having a tight arm without any jiggle. Thank you. And I will be doing these exercises continuously in the kitchen. Lisa, you know me so well. Uh, This is the seven-day arm challenge from Lisa Lynn. And she says, in addition to your 10,000 steps every day, by the way, yes, uh, dedicated to helping you get in the best shape of your life, physically, mentally, spiritually, for nearly 30 years, my friend Lisa Lynn has devoted her career to personal training, metabolic weight loss, and performance nutrition. So for super sleek 
arms before the summer is over. It takes just seven days and you'll find tips, videos, and more to work your whole body at lynnfit.com, L-Y-N-F-I-T.com. You can also follow her on social at Lisa Lynn Fitness. Next month, Lisa, five minutes to fit, right? A five-minute workout that will keep us toned. Absolutely. That's can't, all it takes, five Can't minutes. wait. And so that brings us to the end of another hour that I hope fed your soul. I think that the only thing second to the wonder of eating fabulous food is talking about it. And so I hope you will tune in every weekend for lots more delicious conversation. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration. And I will post this recipe, the ingredients and the method or technique on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please check it out. You know, I'm a girl at the grill, right? I believe you can grill just about anything. But have you ever grilled popcorn? It's sort of like those campfire nights that you remember. There's just no tent. It's actually a natural for the grill. And it's a really fun way to spend and reminisce about the good old days. So for grilled popcorn, you need a little bit of vegetable oil, popcorn kernels, and a disposable aluminum pie pan. You put the popcorn kernels with the vegetable oil in the disposable pie pan. You seal the pan with an aluminum foil dome on top tightly around the edges, and then you grill it over high heat while shaking it, holding onto that pie pan with a pair of tongs. The kids get a kick out of it. The popping stops about seven or eight minutes later if you've got a nice smoking hot grill, and then you season it and you dig in. I do love grilled popcorn and I'm glad to share it. So I will see you on social on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. You'll find the bonus recipe of the week, my summer strawberry pavlova available to you exclusively via email. Just send me a note, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com and lots more meringue recipes as mentioned at the start of this show posted at chefjamie.com. Until next weekend, though, I'd love to meet you here uh, when there's lots more to dish on. So please tune in. I thank you for listening today. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.